find out very quickly that he becomes the spokesman for the group. He's the one that starts to speak out on behalf of all of the others. Jesus, the nets are rotting in the boats. We left our income stream. We walked away from our business. You're talking crazy. What are we supposed to get out of this? What, what are we going to get out of this in the end? And they're all worried, and he just says what they're thinking. Rabbi, I will not fall away. And suddenly, Jesus' words flash through his mind. Before it, the rooster crows twice. You'll deny you even knew me? No. I don't know him. And the sense of failure, I mean, just like Jesus predicted. Where were you? You were supposed to be his rock. I failed her. Now I can't ask him to forgive me. Hey, good morning, everybody. Man, you see that, and you see that the title of the message is uh, Script for Discouragement. And you got to ask, you know, how can a, a failure like Peter have anything good to say that would encourage us about anything? Well, I am going to um, try to be the middleman and deliver a message from God through Peter to us here today. But what if this was the letter? This is the letter from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living in the counties of Hamilton, Hendricks, Morgan, Johnson, Shelby, Brown, Putnam, and beyond. May God give you more and more grace and peace. I know how discouraged you all must be. I mean, I know it must be tough to drive to church some mornings when it's raining and all the potholes that you have to bear. And how sad for you that church is in the morning. Some of you are still hung over from the night before, and it's tough. It's hard to pay attention. I know there are so many other areas of discouragement, like the neighbor's yard being much greener than yours, the lines at the Indy 500, or just a couple of random things that you had these expectations that things would be easier and that your children would always be the best at whatever they tried to do. Poor babies, I'm so sorry. Hang in there, Heartland. Take heart, there's life beyond high interest rates on your credit card debt. Now, if, if, that, if that were the letter, I don't, you know, that, you can tell superficiality from reality. I don't think anybody says, man, that's speaking to where I am. But I believe that this letter that was written by Peter to a bunch of very discouraged Christians, persecuted Christians, back around 64 A.D., uh, when about the time Nero burned down Rome, uh, blamed Christians for it, and uh, then the, the history says he literally threw Christians to the dogs, uh, some to lions. He, um, he persecuted them and killed them. And this letter was written right before Peter was crucified by Nero. Now, um, in the midst of all that, you've got these Christians who have spread out, and, and he's got some Christians who are undergoing the same kind of pressure over in what would be modern-day Turkey. And they refuse to worship 
Nero. They refuse to go to the pagan temples, and so they're shunned, uh, they're outcasts, and they're ridiculed and persecuted. And here is this Peter in the midst of all his own suffering writing one of the most amazing letters ever written to anyone. And I believe that it is written to us today. So whatever your financial fiasco or your marital meltdown, your dating disaster, your awful offspring, or your lawless in-laws, I think there is a message for you no matter what the source of your discouragement. You know, it's true that you can go about 40 days without food. You can go about three days without water. You can go about eight minutes without air. But if you don't have hope, none of that really matters. And this, this day is a great day for hope because it's written by a man who's been there. Have you ever gotten advice from somebody and your first thought was, yeah, easy for you to say? You know, they've got the perfect situation. They're different. From, yeah, easy for you to say. Well, it was not easy for Peter to say these things because what he had been going through, he was in the thick of it. And so he knew what he was talking about, and he knew how to rise above it. You know, when I get advice, I want to get it from somebody that's been there. If I want greater sexual gratification in marriage, I don't go to a monk. You know what I mean? I mean, my wife probably say, go somewhere. But anyway, the, uh, I, I want to go to somebody that's, that's been there. And, uh, you know, you know I, I've been telling people, when I tell people I go to, uh, I live in Indianapolis, you know what their next question is, right? Have you ever been in the race? Ever been in the Indianapolis 500? I got so tired of saying, no, I've never been in the Indianapolis 500. You know, I just had this horrible attitude. I just started saying, I'm from Indianapolis. And no, I've never been to the race. Well, this year I decided to go to the race so I could improve my attitude and connect with people in a better way. So we went to the race. But before we went, I didn't call somebody who's a surfer in California. I called somebody who knew everything there was to know about racing. Takes his uh, boy Jack down to the uh, uh, Daytona. I mean, he, all the races, he's there. And since every sermon I preach, I try to include Dr. Dewey in it. That's who I went to for advice on the race. He told us which exit to take, which line to stand in so that we could get there for all the pre-race stuff and hear Sandy Patty sing the national anthem. Well, you know, we, we get there, and here's this exit, and people are literally stopped on the freeway, not even moving. And we were very discouraged. But then we remembered what Dr. Dewey said. We remember that whether it was cancer on my face or advice about the race, Dewey was the one to go to. And we went past that exit to the one he said, no cars there at all. We get in. They've got these li uh, lines that are so long because of security, checking out the coolers and stuff. And we get discouraged. But we remember he said, don't go to those lines. Go over here. Go in the middle. And we went over there in the middle and walked right in because of what he said. He had been there. And I'm telling you, we had a great time. I don't know a lot about racing, but I guarantee you some of those cars were going over 100 miles an hour. It was, a, it was fabulous, fabulous to see that. Well, you know, Peter had been there, but he was one of these people that had this, this ability to not sink down into a low 
level of thinking. There are people who are at this low life level full of guilt, shame, resentment, fear, anger, isolation, addiction, impulsivity, and instant gratification. I wrote about it in The Exceptional Life, a book that no one read. And then there's this, there's this high life that you don't even need medical marijuana to experience. It's a higher way of thinking. I think one of the reasons that, that Heartland has done what it's done is that Darren is one of these high-level thinkers. And so there you've got hope and love, trust, grace, patience, connection, and freedom. And here Peter comes along. He doesn't get engulfed in his circumstances, and he writes them, and he writes us this letter of hope. So here's the script for discouragement that he writes about. Well, what is discouragement? Well, it's a 15th century word, and at, at the core, it really means to be disheartened. To have your heart ripped out is what it means to be discouraged, or to have your courage taken from you. Satan wants to take a Christian's courage away and will do anything so that you will not stand up for Christ, just like he ripped away the courage of Peter. He was quite successful at it. So here we are discouraged. Now, why do we get discouraged? Well, sometimes we have some very unrealistic expectations. Uh, I was with my mother this week, and she said when she became a Christian, she believed that once you're a Christian, all your problems work out perfectly. There's an answer for everything. You shouldn't even have trials. But if you do, you can wrap it up in a nice little bow at the end. That every trial we have, we ought to be able to experience some victory from. But I'm going to tell you, some people are born into situations where they're going to be there until the rest of their life. Some genetic defect, some endogenous thing that they cannot prevent, they cannot medicate away, it's going to be there. But in the midst of those things, if we have the right expectations, we can endure them better. But if we're sitting around wanting an easy life being a Christian, we have come to the wrong place. Also, we have inadequate resources. Here are the three resources that people like to depend on. Me, myself, and I. And, you know, I've seen people, their whole fortune is wiped out and their marriage is gone, their kids hate them, they're sex addicts or drug addicts, and you ask them, now, what are you doing to help yourself? Well, I'm reading the Bible more, and I'm praying a lot more. Now, that is just you using more of your effort. You're dumb trying to create something not dumb in your life. That's what that is. We need to reach out to other people and bring in other resources. There is only one self-sustaining entity in the entire universe, and that is God himself. The rest of us must have fertilizer and nurturing and water. We need to be pruned, all of that stuff, and we, we must simply get the resources we don't have. Now, sadly, in the Christian church, people don't get help because there's more shame in getting help than there is in staying in the sin. There's more shame of reaching out and being known than the shame of living the double life. What a sad thing. Listen to this out of Psalms. It says, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. Now, how many people look to the church for help and end up radiant with joy versus rejected, kicked out, uh, ridiculed? And it says this, no shadow of shame will darken their faces. 
So many people have stepped forward to get help, and their shame is real. Their face is dark with shame, not because of the secular world out there, but what we do in here. I was with Ted Haggard and his wife, Gail, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I heard this story that a pastor was sitting across the table for an from an atheist. Ted Haggard's picture comes up. The atheist says, that's why I'm not a Christian. The guy says, hey, we're not all like Ted Haggard. The atheist says, no, that's not what I mean. Ted Haggard sinned seven years ago, and he will never, ever be good enough for you guys to change your opinion about him. He'll never work his way back in to ministry. He will always be living in shame. Wow, that isn't what God wants. God wants people to step up, get the resources they need in a shame-free way. And praise God that this is a shame-free, guilt-free zone in this church. If you feel shame, shame on you. Now, uh, there's, there's unresolved regret. There's unresolved regret. We've, we're not forgiving or accepting ourselves and our mistakes. We haven't grieved some things, and so we're still living in the past. And then we have an insecure future. An insecure future. We're not really sure about things because we uh, are theo, or we have theoamnesia, or we're theoamnesiacs, you could say. We forget what God has done for us. It's so, you know, we, we just forget. He's, look what he's brought you through. If you think back, it's so easy to forget. There have been miracles in your life, and you said, man, that had to be a miracle. And then you forget it. You don't write it down. You don't tell it to your kids. We forget. We use circumstantial evidence to judge God. We look at our circumstances, and we, it's just so big and so bad, and we feel so rejected. Then we say, well, God must not love us or care about us. Well, the other day, I took my son, Solomon, and my daughter, Amelia, to Connor Prairie. And we went up in a hot air balloon, and they learned a lesson that I hope that they will never forget. And here's what they learn. The higher you get, the closer you get to heaven. The closer your perspective is from God's perspective, the smaller things look like down here. Those big boulders that the, they were climbing on looked like little ticks from God's perspective up there. So, so we can either see it from our perspective or we can see it from a higher perspective. All of us have the ability to do that. I plan on reminding those kids of that hot air balloon ride for the rest of their lives. Your 401k may not be okay, but you still have a secure future in the Lord. Another reason we get discouraged is, you know, maybe we're trying to do the right thing. And there are people that question our Motives. Maybe we're trying to help and somebody thinks it's hurtful. I mean, I just know so many Christians that are trying to serve and, and they get stomped on. I know people that have a dream and it gets stomped on. All of these reasons to be discouraged. And I believe that, the, of course, the apostle Peter comes along and, and he's experienced it all. And he says to all of us who struggle with discouragement, there is a new perspective. So I want to go through this. I don't usually preach going through all the verses, so hang on. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I'll do the best that I can. Here's what 
Peter says about this. First of all, you can look on your outline that I prepared on Monday, really uh, did my best to do that. You are chosen by God, first thing he says. Now, if you're like me, you've been one of those kids that was the last one chosen to be on the team. You ever had that? Isn't that the worst? You know, everybody gets picked, and you're standing there. Okay, well, I'm going over on this team over here, and that's what happened. So, you know, it's just, and you can cry over spilt milk or spilt water, or you can just move on with your life. But I'm telling you, God has chosen you. It says right here, here it is, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. Your salvation is no accident. God literally wants you in his family. That's just the best news ever. And, and here's Peter under great persecution saying, God chose you. For some reason, he was so confident. Second thing is that God is at work in you and your situation. Second verse says, and his spirit has made you holy. You might want to circle that, his spirit. You don't make you holy. Your efforts don't do it. His spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. So here his spirit is, is working in us. He's, he's like the, the master um, interior redecorator. He's changing everything up inside of us through his spirit, not our effort. Okay, so we see him doing this, and then he's, we're going to be given more grace and more peace. Now, we just pass over these words lightly, but grace is unmerited favor. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. There's nothing you can do to improve on it. God gives you his grace. And if we truly believe that God loves us and we experience his grace, our level of anxiety and fear should be lowered greatly, and we should be able to live in his peace. And here, Peter is reminding us of that. Third thing, God has been very merciful to you. Third verse is, all praise to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now live with great expectation. I was raised by a southern mother who said many times over my lifetime, Lord, have mercy. I mean, it was just part of her vernacular. Lord, have mercy. Well, you know what? He did have mercy. And it says here, great mercy. He has great mercy. And you know what? As a result, we can live with great expectation. Because of his mercy, we can expect that we're going to live with him in heaven. Now, if you, if you haven't secured that, walk down this aisle later, tell somebody you want to accept Christ, and jump in that water and get baptized today because God wants you in his family. That may be why he's brought you here today. Now, fourth thing is there is a, an amazing inheritance waiting for you. They're going to read the will one day, and you're going to get an amazing inheritance. Unlike the woman who, in her will, said, I leave to my ex-husband one dollar to buy a rope and go hang himself. Now, that is just, that's tacky. That's tacky. That's not the way God does things. When the reading of the will occurs, you get the inheritance. It is safe. Let me read this to you. We have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change 
and decay. It's really uh, a reference to the crown, that the leaf crown that was given to athletes when they won. It was beautiful when they put it on their head and they won, and it was great to be aware, but it deteriorated. It faded away. Our reward does not fade away like a crown of leaves put onto an athlete. You get it, and it, it's yours. John 10, 29 says, they're in my hand, and no man can pluck them out. What he's saying is your life may be like a country western song. You can lose your truck. You can lose your dog. You can lose your woman. But you will not lose your inheritance from Jesus Christ. It's your... Now, a lot of people don't believe that. And they go through life. One minute they're in and one minute they're out. Well, I'm in. I, I repent. Oh, I'm out. I had pride right there. I'm, 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 I'm not okay. But, oh, yeah, I just repented. I'm good. I mean, I don't, I don't want to live like that, do you? I'm in. I'm out. I'm good. I'm bad. I'm there. I'm not there. He says here, you got it. Peter says the inheritance is yours, and it's priceless. Now, fifth thing is that God's providing protection for you. And this is just great news. In the fifth verse, it says, And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power. He's protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Now, whether that's the last day you're alive or the last day of planet Earth as we know it, I don't know. But either way, people are going to see your salvation can't earn it. It's based on, right there, by his power, by his power, not your performance. You know what I love about Peter? He just, he's like us. He doesn't give them a message, come on, can't, can't you buck up? Have better faith. You can do it. Come on, let's get it together. No, he's not saying anything other than look at God's mercy, God's power, God's gift, God's grace to you. He's reminding them of what they already have, not what they need to prove or what they need to earn. Okay, so then we go on, and we see number six, and in verse six, that God knows what you're going through and is using it all for your benefit. That fire around you is being used to purify your life. He says it here, starting in the sixth verse. So be truly glad there is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise, glory, and honor. So he's saying that, you know, the only way you can purify gold, of course, is you got to heat it up, let the dross come to the top, skim that off, and now you've produced more purity in that gold. Uh, out at Connor Prairie, you know, they heat up that metal that's so hard, and then all of a sudden, once it's heated, they can bend it and mold it and make it into some beautiful stuff. Well, that's what the fire around you is doing. It's purifying you. It's making you moldable and pliable. God is doing that. He's working through you. And it's going to bring you much praise and glory and honor on that day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. 
What he's saying is, if you have the eternal perspective, these trials you're going through, small potatoes. Reward, big enchilada. So you can focus on those small potatoes, or you can look forward to the big enchilada. And if you have an eating problem, as I've had all my life, the big enchilada is a lot more desirable than the little small potatoes. Okay? So that's what he's trying to say to us here in this wonderful letter. Now, number seven says that real faith brings real reward. Eighth verse, you love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward of trusting him will be the salvation of your soul. Now, I want to read that with a different inflection. Peter not only is putting these people, not putting them down, he's elevating them above himself. He's saying, now, now he knows that he's seen Jesus, but he's saying, you love him even though you've never seen him like I have. He's saying to them, though you do not see him now, you trust him. He's saying, man, you guys are, you're great. You're doing it because that's what faith is. It's believing without actually seeing. That's what faith is. So anyway, as a result of all this, we get a reward. There's the Old Testament, the New Testament, and I think maybe if there's the Third Testament, it's going to have two words in it. You win. You get it. That's it. That's all it needs to say. You win. You get heaven. Oh, my goodness. These poor skeptics that don't think that it's worth believing, or these, these poor people that don't think that living the Christian life is worth it at all, they're going to miss the big deal. And it's going to be amazing. You win. Now, number eight, you're living in a very special time. Verse 10 says, This salvation was something that even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious, gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. Notice they say the Spirit of Christ is talking about Christ. So they're really saying, you know, here's God, here's the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, and then here's Christ over here. Can you imagine two prophets talking to each other, saying, man, this is going to be incredible. And the other prophet saying, I know. He revealed it to me too. And the other one saying, I knew it first. Well, I knew it better. I mean, what, who knows what prophets argue about when they argue. But the, the thing that's so great is the Spirit of Christ filled them and they they received these words about this time they did not understand. And, they, and this says, man, they wanted to know more about this time. This time where there is tremendous glory after the suffering of Christ. We're still living in that time. And uh, one of my favorite things about this passage is the last verse, that angels are watching you, and we need to give them something to talk about. Twelfth verse they were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Here it is. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. I just think that is the coolest thing ever that these angels are up there. You know, they probably go through decades and, and centuries. We're not much going on. But man, you look at what's going on now. They are watching 
And angels are excited about what happened then, and they're excited about what happened now. Let's give them something to talk about right here at Heartland where they see God's grace, His power being received by all of us and experiencing a brand new life. Now, from all of this, I've come up with a three-part prescription. It's very sophisticated. So uh, hang in here with me. Number one, get a new view. If you are discouraged, get a new view. See things from a different perspective. There's this wonderful man in Tel Aviv who did the right thing. His name's Simon Shokin, or Shokin. And he did a right thing through the criminal justice system. Now, the criminal justice system makes mistakes all the time. We know that. Uh, I was reading yesterday about a, a man who had the uh, ankle bracelet installed uh, to be under house arrest so that he would stay in his home. And so they affixed it to his leg. Well, it was his prosthetic leg that they put it on. And so he just parked his fake leg in the closet and on crutches, he's out there having a great time. Anyway, they make mistakes. We're all human. But Simon was a mountain biker, and every day he would drive by the, the juvenile prison in Tel Aviv. And he had this idea to go to the warden, say, I want to take these hardened criminals, already hardened criminals at 16 and 17, and I want to take them mountain biking. He persisted until the warden believed that it was doable. And so he took these boys out. Now, what he thought was he was going to get these guys. They'd be tough, and they'd be out there on the bikes trying to prove to each other who was the toughest. But what he experienced was something totally different. They reached hopeless impossibility very quickly. They, they couldn't do it. Uh, they'd be out in the middle of the Judean desert, and some big oaf would be sitting on a rock saying, I'm not going. I'm not moving beyond this. One guy got his tire stuck in a little crevice, and he was so upset, he just threw a fit full of rage. And all it was, he had to just pull his tire out. That's all he needed to do. But Simon said, I learned something about these kids who had been neglected, rejected, abused, abandoned all their lives. He said, the more rageful they got, the closer I would move toward them and stay with them, the quicker they would settle down. All their lives they have been saying things and spouting things and people have moved away. When I moved toward them, there was healing that started to take place in their souls. He said, um, I would show them from the parking lot up at the top of the mountain Sometimes a hole would come through the clouds and they could see the monastery up there and I would say to them, we're going to go to that monastery. And they would say, we are not going to go to that monastery. But two hours later, covered in blood and sweat and mud and a lot of tears, they were standing on the top of that monastery looking down. And guess what? That big crack that took that bicycle tire. It didn't look so big anymore. They looked back and they saw all of the obstacles that they had overcome 
and it gave them tremendous courage and hope. And too often we fail to look back at the things that we have overcome. It is much easier for us to look back in all the areas we have failed. And sometimes we have people around us that will help us see all of the areas of our failure. Thank you very much. Would you just shut up? We, we get it. We feel it. We don't need to be reminded of it. It's amazing when we change our view. It helps us to move forward to the next challenge and honor God in it. The next one, very sophisticated, get a new to-do. Now, uh, this is not, don't mistake it for a new do. Some people do need a, uh, a hairdo, but, but this is a new to-do. We need to start doing some different things and doing them in different ways. We need to connect with other people rather than isolate. And we need to believe. And we need to join a support group if, if that's what we need to do. We need to get support. Whatever it is, we need to do things differently than we've done before. If more Bible study and more prayer hasn't done it, you know, like financially, get in the class for Wednesday night. Be willing to do some things in a different way so that we experience what God has for us. And then thirdly, we need a new few. We need a new few people around us. Iron sharpens iron, and, and dumb creates dumb. That's just reality. And some people have no iron around them to sharpen. This is what I love about small group. You, you come together with few people that are on your team. You're studying the Bible. You're praying together. You're in community. That's the few, I think, that God wants us to start with. And I just got to tell you, I, I went years never being in a small group. I'm in a small group. I absolutely love that small group. It really is where you experience the kingdom of God. Now, some of you, you know, you got that little fuzzy red strawberry with the Santa Claus beard on it growing in the box of strawberries, right? You know that. And you know that if you don't get that little thing out of there, all the strawberries are going to look like Santa Claus with that little white fuzzy beard. Some of you need to throw some people off your balloon. You've got some people that are unhealthy, and you need to get them out of your life. Absolutely. Set some boundaries. And you need to invite some other people to take the ride with you. So we need to get a new few. One of the boys, 17 years old, he was at age 8 shipped off on a boat to Tel Aviv with no one to greet him, no family, nothing, told to make your best at age eight. Imagine that. So he ends up on the street, ends up being one of the uh, more formidable game members, and he, in the past seven years, had spent uh, his life either on the street or in prison. And he was on one of these bike rides, and they rode to the very top, and they looked down, and there was the Dead Sea below them. And this boy, who had been such a failure, who had been so... Uh, disillusioned with life and so full of anger. He looks out and he says to Simon, this makes me feel like I could do anything with my life. Simon began to pr uh, cry because what, 
the place they were looking at was right above the Jordan River where Joshua had led those Israelites out of their wilderness and into the land of promise. When we get the perspective that God has, we don't have to live in our wilderness of doubt and struggle and fear. There is a land of promise that we can move into, and Peter is saying, I want you to know that land and live there. Now, why was Peter so confident in the midst of his own struggle to tell people it's all worth it? Well, Peter had, had known Jesus. Peter had watched this man heal people, bring people back to life, feed thousands with a little bit of fish and some bread. He had, he had loved Jesus. You think your divorce is hard to get over. Imagine the Peter who divorced himself from Christ and felt so bad when he did. He watched Jesus hang on a cross and die. Watched him be tortured before he was, before he was killed on that cross and watched him be put in a tomb. Peter watched him at this dark hour be put in a tomb and a stone rolled away. Peter saw that. And then a few days later, he would have breakfast with a risen Jesus. This is the man who walked on the surface of the sea with Jesus, the only one who ever did that, and he was confident that it would all be worth it because he had not only walked on the surface of the sea, he had watched the real resurrected Jesus come face to face, eye to eye with him and many other people. And then on an amazing day that I think would have been astounding to witness, he watched this Jesus ascend into heaven above the clouds. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Well, of course, when you see Jesus risen and then ascending, you can write a letter to you and say, be confident. Don't be tripped up by the small potatoes in your life. And then Peter would be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he would preach a sermon that would launch a movement that we're still a part of today, the church. He had been empowered by the Holy Spirit. He had been transformed. He had been restored by Jesus on the banks of that sea where he had walked on the water. No wonder he could be so positive, so encouraging in the midst of despair. I'm just the middle guy today, and I believe God wanted you to hear that no matter what you're facing, there's some tremendous, tremendous good news. And even as, as Peter felt the, the death, the imminent death coming his way, he could be that courageous. So, so here's what I'm hoping you leave here with today. To know that God chose you, and he knows you, and he knows what you're going through. That's what I'm hoping you'll leave with. God chose you, he knows you, and he knows what you're going through. 
and he's using those things that we hate, he's using them to change us and draw us closer to him. And for everyone who believes in him, there is an inheritance, secure, safe, undefiled. And when the big reading of the will comes, it's all yours. And if you don't know that it's all yours, get down here, accept him, get in that water, get baptized, and let's get on with life because there's a lot that we can rejoice about. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let me pray for you. Oh, God, our problems are real, and you're realer. So help us to focus on you, God, and all that you've done for us, all that you want for us, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.